gentlemen, welcome to SEMA 2023 and the next episode of the Tap In Podcast. I'm Chris Harris. My co-host Destiny Spurlock is currently in an awesome seminar right now, so she is not able to make it here. But I have special is a uh, understatement on what this gentleman right here means to this industry. To me, the future of this industry, and I'm just geeking out because I'm a huge fan of what he does and all his crazy builds. So without further ado, I want to introduce you guys to Busy Ezrioha from Busy Moto. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Chris. Sir. Busy, man, SEMA 2023. You're a SEMA vet. What do you think so far? I know you walked around a little bit. What do you think? You know, this show has been just absolutely spectacular this year, especially in the advent of our recent pandemic, where things kind of slowed down a little bit. One thing about this 2023 SEMA that's quite special is the variety. And not the standard variety we see in terms of uh, uh, domestic vehicles and European-based vehicles and Japanese-based vehicles and so on and so forth, but variety in terms of mobility. So there are petrol-based cars here, those propelled by hydrogen, alcohols, a lot of EVs, hybrids. That actually pushes the envelope a little bit further. And as for me, it creates a lot of interest. And for those individuals, whether you're a big car geek or not, everything is here for you. You want low riders, they're here. Trucks, they're here. Full race cars, they're here. Factory-based automobiles of different mobility components, they're here. So, it's a special one indeed, and I'm proud and happy to be here and to see what's going on at this particular event. You talked about pushing the envelope, and you are the man to push all the envelopes in this industry and really uh, disrupt the status quo and look at what's the next thing. But everybody has a beginning. What made you want to get into this industry? I know you were raised to drag racing early on, but automotive engineering, like what? made you want to jump in this world? It's been my interest since childhood. I mean, I don't remember this as a, as a baby, but my parents told me that my first word was car. So I've always loved cars from infancy. And long story short, because I could stay here for hours talking about this, but long story short, uh, my parents are both uh, accomplished scientists. Um, they have a cosmetics company back in Nigeria, where I'm from. And the plan was for me to come to the United States study something in the vein of what my parents had going on back home and then go back and help them with the family business in typical African fashion. So I came here to study chemical engineering and without getting into how I got into this, um, I did some naughty things. I got into street racing. I'm not very proud of that, okay? But it's all relative. It, yeah, <laughs> it, 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 it helped mold me to where I am today. And this is in the late 90s when um, I had a Honda CRX Sport Compact Racing was in its infancy. You couldn't come to a BC Motor to buy parts. You couldn't go to Amazon to pick up parts or eBay. You had to figure things out yourself if you want to go fast. So as a chemical engineering student, because I studied that to help my parents, even though I took a lot of my curriculums and electives in mechanical engineering because that was my interest, um, I used my academia and what I learned in school to apply towards my automobiles. So I interacted with Old school guys from the V, you know, the V8 domestic scene, like Ed Iskandarian, they have a booth over here. Um, bless his soul, um, Nick Arias. Um, just individuals who opened up to me in the domestic scene. And then I met another individual 
by the name of John Concialdi from AEM, who's the founder, who really showed me the ropes on really taking what I was learning in school and applying it to my craft and my passion for racing. Long story short, I did see a mishap in Ontario, California, where ironically my shop is now, in street racing at Quitco, Turkey, and I started racing semi-pro in the drag racing ranks and got picked up by a team uh, from American Honda who saw me race my CRX. Loved high carried myself at the track, loved my ingenuity to get my car to go faster and faster and break the records each time. And so it was my interest in cars and then street racing that got me really tied into the whole automotive culture. And because of my experience of not being able to buy anything for my car to modify them, gave me the, I would say, confidence in not being afraid of the unknown and constantly testing, breaking things, getting excited about breaking things, solving that and moving forward. And that same ethos carries me to today. So it's amazing that you've been able to take your passion and, and starting from the roots of racing and then turn around and turn it into a business. What made you want to turn that into a business, you know? When I graduated from school um, to appease my parents and it was the right thing to do, I got involved into uh, the pharmaceutical sector in research. Um, unfortunately, us lab rats don't make a lot of money. So um, I loved racing and racing was very expensive. So I had to find a way to fund that passion. So I defected from pharmaceutical research into sales. And the beauty of that is that I understood the technology because I came from the lab. I love people because I was person. I actually love people, interact with people, and I was able to sell. Oh, sidebar, while I was in school, I was um, a part-time job at Circuit City as a salesperson. So I had a lot of sales experience. Circuit City, yeah. that's a throw. I don't even think they exist anymore, right? No, showing our age. <laughs> uh oh, we are showing our yeah. age. We're a service with state-of-the-art. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> so long story short, I keep saying long story short because I can really extend this, but I'm trying to cut it down. Um, I had the opportunity to work in pharma on the sales sector, make lots of money. My good friend Cephas here is one of my clients, became a friend, met a gentleman um, by the name of um, John Card. He's out at Dynapack, and uh, John and his team helped me get my first dyno, which I bought cash from the money I made in pharma, right? So I was constantly testing my own race cars I raced on the weekends. Now here's the caveat team. As you develop parts for your car to make it go faster, people take notice. Each time you go to track, you're cutting off tens and tens of time, you get it faster, breaking more and more records. And someone will come up to me at track and say, BC, wait, you just ran 10.9 yesterday. How are you running 10.60s? What'd you do differently? Start looking around, yeah. looking at you. And I'm like, well, I, had, I designed this exhaust manifold. Oh, could you make one for me? I'm like, sure. So as a side hustle, side gig, the components I designed for my car to go faster was one that allowed me to sell the people at the track for a nice amount of profit. Long story short, I keep saying this, I need to stop saying long story short. After a few years, believe me you, my revenue for my side hustle matched and even exceeded what I made at Pharma. That is good. And that was on the side. In 2006, I won't forget this, um, I inherited a very bad leader in corporate and uh, I decided to take the risk then. I saved up enough money to live in austerity for two years. And my goal was, I'm going to give this a chance, having my own business, my own shop, tuning, designing components, selling online. And if it doesn't work, I'll go back to pharma. And 2008, we had a, down, we had a downturn. 
in economy, but I weathered through and I'm still here. Work and you're here and you're a pioneer and you're an inspiration to so many. And you know, we see the success, right? But what are some of the struggles that you have with just doing the business? I know there's a lot, but what are some that you can really make note of? Um, not having any money. <laughs> you know, you go from like six figure income where you have a constant paycheck to nothing, where if you don't work, you don't eat. Um, it was very difficult, especially from a marketing perspective, being able to put resources in to create awareness for your brand is very difficult. Um, hiring good talent, I retain talent, it's also been a challenge when we first started business and still continues to be. Um, it, it's, it's been very difficult to overcome certain hur hurdles that are especially those that are financial in nature. And then competition. And when I say competition, not the healthy type of competition, but I at BC Model, I did have a big challenge and still have that to some extent of other companies knocking off your product. Um, you come up, you put a lot of money into R&D, you invest heavily into that thousands and thousands of dollars, not counting your own man hours, putting into this for R&D. And then someone who doesn't understand technology can just take and make a cheaper copy and sells for a tenth of your cost. And that attracts certain people, and but it does hurt your bottom line. And you can try and protect yourself with pets, which I have, but some people are clever enough to circumvent that. So how do I push through with that? It's really marketing and creating a brand awareness and a name for yourself and having that, that brand that people trust and come to no matter what. And that's allowed us to remain positive and, how should I say, profitable as we continue our journey in this space. I mean, your brand is, and, and you know, I always like to give people their flowers while they're here. I'm, I'm a fan, right? I, I was yeah. a fan first. And what I loved about you, and I'm, I'm a person who, in this organization, is a big part of it, is, you know, always uh, dismissing the status quo, right? And I love your builds because I love old school design but sometimes when you sit in some of these old school cars when and I'm 41 so I'm a little bit more used to technology now I just wish man I wish I could just switch some of these things around so I'm a big resto mod fan I'm a JDM guy but I love resto mods but to watch you take some of these cars and inject and build technology of today into them I mean it just I love it man talk about this T tell the world about I mean, this guy has insane builds. I talk to my partner all the time, um, you know, making jokes. I was like, I want a minivan. And she's like, Chris, no. It's like, I'll do it like busy. And she's like, no, don't get a minivan. Don't do it. So talk about your, your inspiration on why you want to blend technology and blend errors into making something better. Yeah, thank you, Chris. And, and I share that love and passion around classic vehicles. I, I feel that the design language around older classic cars is absolutely spectacular. I love how they look. I love the beauty. And whether as an enthusiast or as an engineer, I'm not a big fan of old tech. So, how do I celebrate the old, especially those cars of historical significance, while also embracing what I love, which is new tech? Combine the two. I mean, of course, my first classic Porsche 911 had a 3.0 engine that leaked oil and had a hard time starting from time to time, and that made me quite upset. So when I built my first performance Porsche, I took a chassis of a 1976 930, removed the engine, took the engine out of an M96 Porsche 911, a water-cooled engine, which wasn't loved for those of you who are Porsche files. The M96 people feel are rubbish engines. Um, because I came from the Honda world and we tend to address any deficiencies in an engine and then use that and push it to push an envelope to where no one's ever seen. I did the same thing with Porsche engines as well. Taking a water-cooled power plant, which is newer, did a leak, started each time, 
and impregnated that with a neurotransmission into that 76 and made a thousand 80 horsepower before my dyno shut down. Almost killed myself testing it. <laughs> Went back to the shop, put smaller turbos on, and that is what kind of brought me to the viewing world with a Porsche really, you know, putting modern tech in an older car. And just from the reception I got, I'm like, wow, this is really cool. People love it. I'm not getting customers. Let me keep pushing that. Fast forward to today, um, if you go into Future Tech Booth, you'll see a classic 65 Volkswagen bus. It's a beautiful bus. Yes, I heard from some people this year that it's sacrilege what I did until I tell them how much power it makes. But there's a 450 horsepower bus in Future Tech. It's like a black and cream color, and it's electrified. So you look inside, it looks factory. The gauges pay a nod to 1960s. The shifter is factory, no knobs, no screens. Very analog. But the underpinnings are modern futuristic technology. And the thing is terrifying to drive. In a that, good way. That instant sort with the modern, it's, 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 it's ridiculous. Something that big to just take off like that is out of control. Uh, I broke an axle last week, but we, we rectified that. <laughs> but it, it's, been, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun indeed. What are your future plans for your business? Where do you really see this industry going and, 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 and the envelopes you continue to push? I want to continue to you know embrace and celebrate old classic vehicles, but infuse them with technology that's not only enjoyable, but as guilt-free as possible. So reducing carbon footprints by upcycling old cars using either EV technology or a combination of that and hydrogen, and just pushing the envelope further and further and making those cars exciting for the youth. My cars to look crazy because I want you to see, hey, you can have fun and look cool at the same time. And that's why I like to build cars like the Moby that's in SEMA Central. It's a black, huge 935 first street fairing Moby Dick from original modes from Porsche Motorsports. Existing out there in full EV format. Um, thank you, SEMA, so much for allowing me the opportunity to have in such a nice platform. But that's a glimpse into what the future holds for my organization. Celebrating classics. Infusing modern technology with okay. little or no guilt. Diversity, right? Absolutely. This industry is, by gentlemen like you, with our organization and other organizations out there, we're really starting to slowly see diversity come into this industry. But it always starts with the kids, right? And getting them young, getting them interested in this industry, getting them excited about the possibilities. What part do you play in that with your business? Not only by creating attractive projects, but also offering internships as well internally. So allow individuals of, of, who are interested in this market or even somewhat curious to immerse themselves in what we do and get a taste of it. Now, the bad thing is a lot of OEMs grab my interns afterwards, but that's, that's beside the point. But it, it does help through my efforts, through the efforts that they have and their experiences in this culture, to be able to push the envelope and be able to create awareness for what we're doing and how cool it is. Do you feel, um, I mean, I know, unfortunately, with a lot of the larger businesses, they don't like to do the work. They'll just take the work and pull them over. But do you feel that the youth is really excited about um, either being a part of the bigger companies or more of the smaller niche brands that they can really have full creative control on what they do? I've seen a combination of the two, and it depends on individuals. Some people are very excited to be part of a large organization, at least in our industry, like Canon or Holly. And then some people are even excited to be part of a small mom-and-pop shop that's around the corner that does some modifications. It depends on the individual and the exposure. In my opinion, it's, both, it's best for someone to get exposure on both facets. 
Um, and we create opportunities for that to happen no matter what they want to do. So, like I mentioned, OEMs grab some of our interns yeah. because I expose them to such environments, you know, so they can have fun at Bicimoto and have a fun at uh, Hyundai, for example. So, have, you know, have an opportunity to have fun at Mobis and so on and so forth. That's awesome. Yeah. Where, what somebody new coming up there in high school, what advice do you have for them to try and get into this industry? <laughs> That's the question. Oh, okay, I thought you were going somewhere else with this. Oh. To get into this industry. Yeah. Um, do what I do. Visit shops like Bicimoto, smaller shops. Go in there, introduce yourself, and say, what could I do to help? What could I do? Try and get your foot in the door. What I thought you were going to say is something along the lines of, what should they do if they want to follow the same footsteps that I did? Um, which, if you were to ask that, which I'm not asking myself, right? <laughs> to really don't be afraid to be an individual. You don't have to follow the herd. Always create your own path. Think out of the box. And this is coming from an engineer who we're already taught many times to think within the box of our academia, right? Yeah. But I was a bit of a contrarian. So, and that allowed me to be successful in this industry as well. It's to think out of the box. Hello, Jackson. To think out of the box and continue to push the envelope accordingly. I think it's super important what you just said because a lot of times, I was talking about this earlier, you deal with the youth and, and sometimes, I don't know because they hide, but not hide behind, but their world is so dominated by digital. They have phones and computers. They're scared to go up to somebody and say, hey, I'm excited about this. I want to do this. What can I do to be a part of it? Then you have to put yourself out there. You have to not be afraid to go out there because that's what you have to do. You have to put your boots to the ground, swallow your pride and say, hey, Everybody has somebody. Nobody does any of this alone. And you see his success and what he's been able to do because he took the leap off, off the bridge and said, you know what, I'm going to give this a shot. I'm going to put myself out there. And he was able to build his own brand, which is super inspirational. I'm telling you, I love watching your content. You're in sunny California while the rest of us are freezing the rest of the year, right? So he gets to play with his toys all the time. And, you know, my sons love watching on channel. And it's because all the crazy things they get to see. And right, it's like, oh, that is a Porsche. There's a minivan. Oh, you see how fast it is? The tire is smoking. And it gets them excited. So I, I really appreciate you um, just being who you are and being a pioneer in this industry, right? Because the majors are taking your interns, right? They're stealing your ideas. It's because you're doing the right thing. And truly, truly appreciate that. And another thing I want to talk about is uh, something you and I have spoke about is the importance of education, yes. right? The importance of education and getting these kids from a young age involved and excited. As technology begins to grow, as things starts to change, what do you think um, schools should really focus on to get these kids involved in the industry? Because you have trade schools at UTI and different organizations like that. And they may or may not be following with the trends because there's a blueprint that everybody right. kind of also fits. So what are your thoughts on what do we need to get the kids involved in so we can continue to grow in this industry? You know, luckily a lot of trade schools are changing their curriculum to involve modern technology. Like there's a local college near me out in Southern California known as Rio Hondo and they do have an alternative field class that they're teaching individuals on how to manage, diagnose, and repair hydrogen, electric, and hybrid systems. And give them some certifications and recommend them to some of their OEMs as well, which is good. But on the same token, what I've done as far back as when I was in college, going to inner city schools, I talk to high school students, is that not to be afraid of STEM-based curriculums. 
because you know science, technology, engineering, and mathematics are very important. And they are really cool. It's not as difficult as most people make them out to be. We need more engineers. We need more scientists. We need individuals who can push technology further and further. And it's very lucrative. Yes, to some of the people when I go to high schools, it's pretty cool. You can look cool, you can get the girl, you can do a lot of fun stuff. It's not only for geeks, okay? You can really do something. Not that it's only wrong being a geek, it's also important. But uh, long story short, it is happening. The changes are coming. It's up to us, and I'm doing what I can to help show that STEM-based courses are interesting and are needed and can be achieved by anyone. Many of us don't know how fortunate we are in the United States to have access to such great academia and education. I mean, I left my country at the age of 15 without my family to come here to experience what people have for free many times. Don't waste your time here. Take advantage of the academia and the, and the technology that exists and the education that is, in my opinion, one of the best in the world. It's up to us to show that they are in a, an environment where millions of people around the world would kill to even experience half of it. It's up to us to get the word out that they are blessed and should take full advantage of what's in front of them. That's you paying it forward. So much Thank you. Where can they find more about you? Where can they learn more? Give them the info where they can reach out to you, your social media, your YouTube, everything. Social is the best. Whether it's on threads, whether you're looking at Instagram, um, you know, I guess now X, <laughs> it's BCMOTO, B-I-S-I-M-O-T-O. Um, I'm in charge of all my social networks. Um, if someone leaves a message, I do respond as quickly as I can. And that's the best way to, place to reach me, is uh, on my social. And he does respond. This is how we got connected. I reached out to him via DM. And, you know, and this talks about, you know, paying it forward or taking this step out, right? I reached out to him. We have some awesome plans that we're really gonna do to, to really push the envelope and make this uh, industry a better place. BC, thank you so much for coming thank out. Thank you, Chris. Sir. Ladies and gentlemen, this is another, another episode of the Tap In Podcast with me and Destiny Spurlock. And welcome to SEMA 2023. See you soon.